Welcome to The Well Downtown. Uh, my name is Ben Post, and I am on staff with Campus Ministry. Uh, and I am delighted to be worshiping downtown with you all tonight. So that's, I'm excited about that. Uh, anyway, this year at The Well, we are studying the story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is an amazing book comprised of so many incredible stories, but all of these stories tell one grand story. Uh, and the story of the Bible is, in fact, it's our story. Okay, so hopefully many of you are familiar with this graphic that we have up here, and maybe you've received this piece of paper as well. This is a timeline. If you don't have this timeline, you should want one of these. Go ahead and raise your hand. We've got a few other people in the back that will, you know, hook you up with a timeline here. You'll want one of these because it's not just a timeline. Okay, if you open up your timeline, there's also a beautiful map. Yeah, we like maps. Maps are helpful. And then also, if you open it up all the way, there is a reading plan for you that you could be reading along uh, throughout, the, throughout the year of all these different stories, kind of following along uh, together with our series. So if you read like five or six or so chapters a week, you're kind of getting the bulk of reading uh, the Bible this year. So I highly recommend doing this if you're not doing it already. I hear people say all the time that they struggle with spending time in the Word, and some of the reason is time, and some of the reason is because they just don't know what to read. Well, here's a great plan for you um, if that's helpful. So anyway, our story. This is our, uh, our series together this year. Before we dive into our passage tonight, it, I think it's helpful for us to look back uh, and see a little bit of what we talked about last week and how it brings us to where we are today. So we've got a weekly recap video for you right here. Uh, okay, so last week, Cody was teaching on Exodus chapter 19, and he was talking about the amazing greatness and glory of God. In the beginning, God created the world, and it was good. And then Adam and Eve did what they were not supposed to do, and sin enters the world, and then they started hiding, and, and we kind of keep doing the same with our lives when we do something we are not supposed to do. Anyway, so sin is introduced into the world, and it has infected all of humanity ever since. And there are consequences for our sin. So tonight, I was driving here uh, downtown. I live in Holland. And as I was leaving Holland, I was being followed by a police officer. Okay. Uh, you know the feeling, right? And this police officer just kept following me. I get on the highway and he's following me and he's like right behind me. And I've got the cruise on like 72-ish and he's like right behind me. It feels like eternity in moments like that, right? It was literally like 15 or 20 minutes and then he finally passed me and I'm like, okay, good, we're good. But there's all this anxiety that comes, like you're double and triple checking all of the things. Like, okay, I'm I've got the cruise on. I know I'm not speeding, but why is he still behind me? You're just waiting to screw up, right? And some of the reason, I think, for my anxiety with that is because I, I, I was a bad driver when I was in high school, and I broke the law a lot, and I got caught a lot, okay? So I got a number of speeding tickets when I was 16, 17. I was in a car accident. That was my fault. Uh, when I was a freshman in college, I received a letter 
from my insurance company saying, uh, you've got so many points on your record now that if you get one more ticket, we're going to have to drop you from our insurance. And I'm like, okay, I got to buckle it up here a little bit. So I was very, very, very careful for the next several months, almost a year. And I was driving, Labor Day weekend, I'm driving to the campground to hang out with my parents for the weekend. And my mom even said to me, remember, the cops are always out on Labor Day weekend. Don't speed. I'm like, I'm not speeding. I'm not speeding. So I'm cruising along in my 1984 Chevy Citation. That was the name of a car back then, by the way. And my car did not have cruise control, but I'm watching it, you know, very closely. But then this song came on the radio that was just like a good jam. And I am just rocking out to this song, right? You know how this goes. And then I see a police officer right there, and I look at my speedometer, and I'm doing about 76 or 77. And I'm like, okay, I'm going a little fast, but I'm unclear. Nope. I got pulled over, and the cop gave me a ticket. And this is how I found out that my speedometer was actually off a little bit. He clocked me at 82, even though my speedometer said 77. And he gave me a ticket, and I was no longer able to drive for six months. Which is a real bummer when you're in college, right? And you can't drive anymore. But there are consequences when we do things we are not supposed to do. There's consequences for our sin. There's consequences when you are speeding and you get a ticket. Uh, Tonight, we are going to dive into everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. Yeah, Leviticus. Uh, Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Okay, so I'm going to skip some parts here, but basically verses 1 through 12, it talks about when a priest sins, He is supposed to sacrifice a bull, and then they offer a lot of bloody details and all of the ins and outs of how to actually do that sacrifice. You jump to verse 13. In verses 13 through 21, it says, If the whole congregation of Israel sins, this is what you are to do. You are to sacrifice a bull, and they include the same bloody details. Uh, In verse 22, when a leader sins, doing unintentionally any of all of the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, then he's supposed to sacrifice a male goat. And they include some of the bloody details there. Now, verse 27 through the end here. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt... Or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. 
And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove. As the fat is removed from the peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish, and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, And pour out all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed. And he shall be forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Are you sure about that? Thanks be to God. I mean, there's a reason why when people say they want to read through the Bible, they begin in Genesis, and then they read through Exodus, and then they get to Leviticus, Leviticus about chapter 4, and they're kind of like, mm, there's no life verses in here. Let's move on, right? This is such a strange, strange thing. But it's a strange thing to us in our culture. In 2019, as Grand Valley students, this is a very odd thing, obviously. But, but what I want to do tonight is I want to take just a little bit closer look at the amazingness of what is going on here. So it says, if anyone sins unintentionally, this is what you are supposed to do. Well, the first question is, what is sin? What is sin? I mean, we, we know what it is, but do we know what it is? So here's... I want to ask you guys, what is sin? Or what are some examples of sin? Maybe it's yours, or maybe it's your neighbor's, or maybe it's something you see on the news. But I want to hear you guys just name some things that you would say, this is sin. Go ahead, raise your hand, and I want to, go ahead. Going against God's commandments. Okay, what else? Anything that disobeys God's will. Keep going. Murder. Murder. Okay, keep going. Lying. Keep going. That's it. Gossip. Disobeying your mother and father. Rebellious attitude. What is sin? How do we describe sin? How does sin affect us? In Exodus chapter 19, which we looked at here last week, uh, Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai, and um, Exodus 19 kind of reveals the majesty and glory and holiness of God. In Exodus chapter 20, then God gives Moses what we call the Ten Commandments. Okay? Here are the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Anybody doing perfect yet with these first four? 
Okay? Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, which includes things like porn and looking at a woman lustfully. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. These are the commandments that God gives Moses in Exodus chapter 20. And in some ways, these Ten Commandments are, are kind of like a, a measuring stick reminding us that God is holy and we are not. Right? As you read through those Ten Commandments, you're kind of like, mm, yeah, okay, well, I haven't murdered anybody lately, but I do have some issues with these other, with other things on this list. And as we're reminded that God is holy and we are not, there are consequences for when we disobey him or when we decide to go in the other direction. There are consequences when we fail. Okay? Now, I need two people to come on up here. Uh, Brock, Jace, come on up. You guys are in trouble. Just kidding. You're not in trouble. I love you guys. I love you too. Come on up here. Yeah. All right. Okay. Hop on up here. You don't even know what you're signed up for yet. This is going to be exciting. Uh, standing right there. Okay, so the question is, who wants to be God? Okay, you're God. Good job. And you're man. Okay? Now, you guys, you just, just face each other for a second. Just face each other. Okay? Now, a central message in the Bible. Here, I'm going to move out of the way here a minute. A central message in the Bible is that God is holy, and he wants his people to reflect God's holiness, all right? We're supposed to be in a close relationship with him. Now, there's this verse in Isaiah that says this, Isaiah 59, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear, okay? So we have God who is perfect and holy, just for pretend, okay? We know you've got issues. And this black bag here is going to represent sin, okay? And sin, this is your stuff right here, okay? And sin is separating you from your relationship with God. And so you have to just kind of back up a little bit. Don't knock over these expensive things here. That would be helpful, okay? So sin is, okay, and the microphone, great. Sin enters and it disrupts, and there's the separation from God. Things are now not as they should be. And as a result, um, God's people are separated from him and cannot be holy and cannot imitate God's holiness. So what God does is he sets up this gracious yet complex yet weird sacrificial system that we just kind of talked about in Leviticus chapter 4 through the blood of animals. And then here's another verse here. Uh, Leviticus 17 says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So God offers a solution to this problem. Brock sins, and it creates separation from his relationship with God. But God says, I've got a plan, uh, and the plan is to sacrifice an animal. Okay, so here you go. There you go. You'll, you'll need that. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Don't really stab it. It's Jaden's. <laughs> We're just pretending right here, okay? And that's not a real knife, okay? 
So um, here's the thing that I think is fascinating. Okay, just, just hold that for a second. You're doing a good job. Atonement. Okay, Leviticus 4 verse 35 says this. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Okay? The priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Okay? So atonement takes place when an animal is slaughtered for your sin. So come on over here. And the word atonement is the Hebrew word kafar. Say kafar. Kafar literally means to cover. Okay? So you're going to sacrifice that animal. Just pretend you're sli- you know, slicing his throat. Okay? <laughs> there you go. Okay? And then we are covering... The sin. Okay? Making sense so far? Kafar means to cover. So we, we make the sacrifice. There's blood everywhere, right? But we do that to cover the sin. Another Hebrew word for you today is uh, korban. Say korban. Korban. It comes from the Hebrew word which means to draw near or to bring close. And so the purpose of sacrificing an animal is actually to bring you closer to God. Now that you've sacrificed an animal, now that your sin has been covered, you can enter back into this relationship with God. Isn't that beautiful? So we are created to be in relationship with God. But sin is ugly and it creates a separation. So one of the consequences of sin is, uh, or one of the realities of sin is then we need to have a sacrifice. There you go. Cut it. There you go. And then our sin is covered, and then the relationship is restored. Make sense? Okay, that's what's going on in Leviticus chapter 4. Let's give these guys a hand. Thank you, guys. So although Leviticus chapter 4 is such a strange story, it is a huge act of grace. God graciously set up this sacrificial system as a way to atone for their sin. He did not need to do that. Over and over and over and over again. So this started in the desert. This started right after Sinai, right after the Ten Commandments came. And then over and over and over again for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this was the practice. This is what they had to do all the time. You sin, intentionally or unintentionally, you have to kill a lamb. There's a lot of blood going on all the way up through temple services in Jerusalem to the time of Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus even comes onto the scene, before Jesus comes onto the scene, uh, there were prophecies of an ultimate atoning sacrifice that was yet to come. Isaiah 53, verse 7, Jesus They're referring to Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. These people are sacrificing lambs over and over and over and over again. And they read, they hear about these words in Isaiah 53, and they waited and they waited and they waited for a Messiah to come. 
The sacrifices in the Old Testament point toward the perfect sacrifice that was yet to come. And part of the specific instructions in Leviticus 4 says the lamb had to be perfect or unblemished, no defects. And I think that is a fascinating detail when you think about the lamb who was ultimately sacrificed. Perfect. I think Jesus fulfilled that requirement. So they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting for the Messiah to come. They're waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And John the Baptist, as soon as he sees Jesus for the first time, do you know what he said? He said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whoa. Did you catch that? What, what is the major difference between what John the Baptist is saying Jesus is going to do and these Old Testament sacrifices? Well, the Old Testament sacrifices, you have sin, okay? You sacrifice an animal to atone for your sin, you cover it. What does John the Baptist say about Jesus? We're not just covering the sin anymore. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and it is no more. The Old Testament sacrifices covered the sin of the people, but it did not remove the sin. Because animal sacrifices needed to be repeated, right? And I think this this makes sense because if a treatment was successful, you don't need to keep doing the treatment again, right? If you've been cured, you don't need to keep doing the treatment. Through Jesus, real forgiveness is achieved because Christ's death no longer requires repetition. He doesn't need to die again. He's died for once and for all. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as a result, ultimately brings us back into right relationship with himself. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this picture uh, and this imagery of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And it also says, whoops, also says this in Hebrews 9, 22, for without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Bless you. This week, as I've been thinking about this passage and thinking about this reality, I've just been praying and asking God to help me be more aware of my sin. I mean, that phrase in Leviticus 4, if anyone sins unintentionally, this is what they had to do. Like It's such a strange but yet convicting phrase to me. So God, help me be more aware of the stuff that I've got going on in my mind and in my heart. Reveal more of it to me. 
I want to be more aware of my sin. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, what would it have been like for me to be, you know, 4,000 years ago and part of this sacrificial system? What if that was my life? What if every time I sinned, I had to sacrifice an innocent lamb? During Passover, people were uh, expected to select an unblemished lamb, and then they would have it live with them for four days before they sacrificed it, feeding for it and caring for it as if it were one of their family pets. A few years ago, uh, Stacy and I were doing a trip in Israel. We were in Bethlehem. We ran into this shepherd. I don't know why he keeps doing that. There we go. And this shepherd had this baby lamb with him. And everybody in our, all, all the people in our group were totally enamored with this lamb. And the shepherd saw it. And he's like, here, hold the lamb. So I'm holding this baby lamb. And all these people are taking pictures. I felt like a celebrity all of a sudden. Everybody's taking pictures of me holding this lamb. Within five minutes... Everybody in our group was hooked with this guy. Everybody loved that lamb. And it only, we'd only known it for like two minutes. But at Passover, you were expected to have a lamb live with you for four days to feed it and care for it. Because I think by the time you had to sacrifice it four days later, it cost you something. You felt that. You had already cared for it for four days, and you were feeling the weight of, the, of your own sin when you were sacrificing this lamb who's been like a pet to you for a week. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like if I had to kill a lamb like that every time I sinned, I don't know how this works theologically, but I feel like I would sin less right? If I had to do something like that every time I sinned, intentionally or unintentionally, I would figure out how to sin less often. Or maybe it's, we're not sacrificing animals anymore, but what if there was a a jar you put in your house or your apartment and you're like, every time I sin, I'm throwing 20 bucks in there. And you do that with your roommates. Would you figure out, like, the stakes are just raised a little bit higher, I feel like, with something like that, right? Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is not $20. The wages of sin is death. Our sin should cost us something, but in reality, it cost Jesus everything. When Stacy and I lived in Jerusalem, uh, we had this friend who lived next door. His name was Joel, Joel Kramer. He moved there with his family. He did a lot of video stuff. Um, and he makes a lot of videos about, you know, archaeology and things that are going on in the land and stuff like that. He decided to make a video about um, animal sacrifice. 